in the United States of America, over 10,000 people die every year from drunk driving. There's about 45,000, these are average, by the way, not last year's numbers, these are kind of average numbers, about 45,000 people commit suicide every year. 18,000 people are murdered. 650,000, dwarfing those numbers, by the way, abortions every year, little babies that are killed in the womb. And right now we are dealing with in this nation a scourge, and it's been really going on for several years now, but a scourge of domestic terrorism, people walking in and using guns in ways that ought not be used, killing people in, in large numbers. The Bible's not kidding when it says the wages of sin is death. Sin kills. What does? It kills people. But when it says the wages of sin is death, it's not just in that physical death, we bury someone, there's also a sense in which that death is spiritual, moral, and emotional. In this nation, we have a death of trust. The previous president, as well as our current president, in fact, I could probably go back a few presidents and do this, are known, documented, for saying what is called false and misleading statements. I'm talking about the President. We're not just talking about the media, which I know those guys make up stuff. I'm talking about the guy that we elect to be our leader in this nation. And by the way, it's not just a Trump thing. It's not just a Biden thing. This goes back a few fellows, by the way. False and misleading thousands of them. Fake news. Deceptive advertising. The lies we tell each other. Don't just blame the Oval Office. You and I are full of lies ourselves. So there's a death of trust in this nation. There's a death of purity in this nation. In 2020, this is shocking to me, there is a rise, there was a rise in the numbers of the 2 million cases of chlamydia, gonorrhea, and syphilis. <laughs> I'm not, this is not a sex education class, I understand that, but I want you all to know something. There's ways not to make that happen. Do you all know that? We're stupid or we're full of sin or both. And there's more of it now than there's ever been. What's wrong with this country? We sexualize our children all the way down to the youngest of children. We make them, we turn them in the way we dress them, the way we treat them, what we say to them, what we expose them to. We turn them into sexual objects. In foul language, Passes for normal. You cannot. Uh, I'll confess my sins. Y'all can talk about mine later if you want to. But I'll just say I, I do. I do watch Netflix from time to time. Um, you can't watch a new Netflix show. You got to watch the old stuff. You can watch a new Netflix show. And I'm not talking about anything that's necessarily overly violent or overly gory. Or over just like a regular show, and they're dropping foul language. And I'm talking about the stuff that my mom would kill me if I said that kind of stuff. What's, and that's just normal. That's the way people talk. That's just the way they talk. That's the way they operate. And it passes for normal. There's a death of real love. There's a death of intimacy in this nation. Did you know that the Internet, and it's broad and as wide as it is, they, they estimate that over 12% of the Internet is pornography. That's a lot of pornography. That's a lot. 
$3 billion is spent annually on internet pornography. Half of all marriages in this country, over half of all marriages in this country, end in a divorce. And over half of the relationships, regardless of a marriage or just a, a dating or whatever kind of relationship, over half of those people will say, I'm not happy with this relationship that I'm in. Reminds me of what the psalmist says in Psalm 13. How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? There's a lot wrong. There's a lot wrong. But we have been warned. I just want y'all to know we've been warned. The Bible also says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 13 that if we live after the flesh, we live in sin, we shall die. This is a problem that we shouldn't be surprised by. I'm surprised by it. I'll just tell you, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'll, I won't lie to you, I won't act like I saw, I saw this coming. I'm just telling you every day when I hear new news about this stuff, it shocks the pants off on me. But I want you to know the Bible says, no, this is the way it's going to be. Sin has a higher price than you'll ever understand. Sin will cost you more than you'll ever be willing to pay. It will cost you more than you'll ever be able to pay. Which is why I want to ask you to look with me in Proverbs chapter 14 and verses 34 and 35. The scripture says, Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. The king's favor is towards a wise servant, but his wrath is against him that causes shame. Father, would you please help me to articulate your word to your people, help me to show them what the Bible says, but to give them the urgency of the message. Convict us, Lord. Show us where we are failing so that we can pursue your righteousness, your wisdom, to transform this culture that's around us through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The text says that sin is a reproach to any people. That word reproach means disgrace, shame. Sin brings shame. That's what it does. It brings disgrace among many people. On the opposite end, it says there that sin is a reproach to any people, but Proverbs being uh, Hebrew poetry as it is, it's a parallel statement in the first part of that. It says, Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. So you have two opposites here. On the one hand, sin brings shame and disgrace, but righteousness, it says there, exalteth. It, it brings blessings. It brings favor. And he, gives, he illustrates that a little bit more in the next verse where he says it's the king's favor goes towards the wise servant, the servant who knows how to operate, who knows how to act, who does the right thing. He says that's where the king's favor goes. On the other hand, the king's wrath is against them that bring shame. So, you see what's going on here? Sin puts us in this terrible, terrible position at being odds with the, at odds with the God of the universe. He says there that righteousness exalted a nation and sin is a reproach to any people. He's talking about here a nation or a people. He is talking about a country. That's one of the things he's talking about here. But when you think about particularly the word people, he's using that word because that really gets down to not just the, the big entity, the United States of America. He's now talking about Americans. You see the distinction? There's the country, the big idea. 
but it's the individuals that make up that country that is also at, at, at fault and at, at, um, at has the problem. So you have a political nation, but you also have the Greeks and the identity, a nation like the United States of America, but you also have people like the Church of Jesus Christ and families like mine and yours. Sin brings disgrace, a reproach to our nation, to our churches, to our families. The only hope he gives there, again, verse 34, he says it's righteousness that exalts. He seems favor in verse 35 is towards the wise servant. So the only hope that we have is righteousness and wisdom. We need to do the right thing in the right way. Righteousness, do the right thing. Wisdom, do it the right way. Go about it the right way. That's what we need to be doing. So I want y'all to hear me real loud and real clear. Here's my message. Sin turns God's favor away from us. Do y'all agree with that? Are you understanding that? If sin turns God's favor away from us, then I want to, I hope you do too, want to pursue God's favor. I want God's favor. Therefore, I need to, according to this passage, I need to be about the business of getting righteousness and wisdom for my family, for my church, and for my country and my community. That's what I want to talk to you just a few minutes about is getting, seeking that righteousness and wisdom. First of all, seeking righteousness and wisdom first for our family. I want to, I want to ask you to do this. I don't normally do this in my preaching, but I'm going to ask you today to turn over to another passage. You, you kind of hold your place there in Proverbs. We may come back to it. I don't know, but I don't, I don't know if we will or not, but we're, we're going to go some other places for just a minute. I'm going to ask you to go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's going to go backwards in your Bible a little bit. To Deuteronomy chapter 6. I want to look at just a few verses here where God is talking to the children of Israel. And, and I recognize we're the church, we're not Israel. There's a distinction here. I'm going to give you that. That said, there are a lot of principles from the Old Testament and the, the, the words that God gave Israel that have application for us today. And I think that's, this is one of those that is very applicable to us today. And in Deuteronomy chapter 6, I'll just begin in verse 1, that he says there that these are the commandments and the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that you might do them in the land whether you go to possess it. That verse really just sets up the fact that all of the book of Deuteronomy is God recounting, re-giving the law, the, the, the statements of truth that God wanted His people to follow. So this is the law that you're to follow. And He says here, this stuff I'm telling you is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to live. And he goes on in verse 2, he says, the reason I want you to do that, he says, that thou mightest fear, verse 2, the Lord thy God, to keep all of his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son, all the days of thy life, and that thy, thy days may be prolonged. He says, essentially, the purpose of God's law is so that you can have a good, long life. <laughs> I don't know if y'all know this or not, but God's not being mean when He gives us the law. Do you know why God gives you the law? Because God's good and holy and perfect and right in every way. Everything He says is right. You know why He gives you the law? He's literally giving you the instructions on how to live so that you can be happy, healthy, and prosperous. That's literally what He's doing. You go back to God's Word. If you were to abide by God's Word, I'm not suggesting there'll never be trouble in this life, but I can tell you all things being equal, God's way is not just a better way, it is the best way. 
Every way you do that, that's why He's giving that to us, so that we have the best way to live. Because you listen to God's law, you're going to have a good, long life. But, let's skip you all the way down to verse 7. And He says here, And thou shalt teach them, this is the words of God, the, the law of God, thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, when thou risest up. He says, listen, parents, You've got a job to do. God has given you the perfect Word. He is giving you what you need to live a good life. And you say you love your children. If you love your children, you're going to teach them my Word. He says everywhere you go, when you're sitting at home, when you're walking down the street, when you go to bed, and when you get up, every part of your life, He says, I want you to teach my Word to your children. But here's the problem. He goes back, and go back to verse, uh, verse 6. He says, And these words which I commanded these days shall be in thy heart. Go down to verse 8. He says, And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be frontless between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the post of thy gate, or house, and on my gate. He says, Here's the problem. You can't teach your children what you don't know yourself. You've got to have it in your heart. You're going to have to put it in front of your eyes. You're going to have to write it on the wall. You're going to have to write it on the gate. He says, whatever it takes for you to get it in your mind, for you to obey it, you're going to have to teach it. Are you following me so far? The point of this is that we need to teach parents, grandparents. It's our job to teach our children and grandchildren, the next generation, about God's Word. If we want them to be successful, we want them to be healthy, we want them to be what God wants them to be, it is our job, our responsibility to give them God's Word. Let me ask you to turn to one other place in First Peter. So I'm going to make you go all the way to the New Testament, almost to the end of the New Testament. Go to First Peter, if you would. First Peter in chapter, uh, chapter 3. First Peter in chapter 3. I want to ask you to look at a couple of verses there with me. In First Peter chapter 3. And in First Peter, Peter is talking to, he's really given the, the, the way the household should be set up here. So what I just told you about, remember over in Deuteronomy, was you've got a responsibility to teach your children. That's what he's saying there. But in First Peter, look what he says here in First Peter chapter 3, look with me in verse 1. He says, likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. Some of y'all want to emphasize that subjection part, but I want to emphasize the second half of this just so y'all know. I'm not trying to trying to get I'm not trying to meddle there yet. Uh, let's go over here and say that if any obey not the word, so if you've got a husband who's not obedient to the word of God, that they may also without the word be won by the conversation. That word in the King James there, you could think of the word lifestyle, the way you live, that your life. It's won by the life or the conversation of the wives. What he is saying here is, listen, wives in a, in a home, wives, live right. Do the right thing. Do God's law because your husband's life depends on it. But I'm not done. We're not just, just half of the equation. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Come on, fellas. Y'all ain't out of this thing either. Go to verse 7. Go to verse 7. Likewise, ye husbands, Dwell with them, speaking of the wives, according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of grace and life, that your prayers be not hindered, he said. Husbands, 
Live right. Because if you're not living right, you have no hope of your prayers getting answers. That's what he says. That's what he says. I won't make you turn there, but if you go to Ephesians chapter 6, the first four verses, it says there that, we are, that children are to obey their parents. But he goes on to say that it is the parents' responsibility at the end of that for them to raise their children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. The point being, parents, you need to live right. You need to teach your parents, your children right because your children's future depends on it. All of that is to try to get this point across to you, which really kind of gets, gets back to what uh, the, pro- the writer of Proverbs says in Proverbs 14, that if I want God's best for my family, I want God's best for my family. Do you want God's best for your family? There's at least three of you in here that want God's best for your family. I'm preaching to y'all. The rest of you, you can go into the house. We're talking in here. But if you want God's best for your family, you're going to have to seek God's wisdom and God's righteousness for your family. That means you're going to have to live out God's truth in front of them. Live right, Mama. Live right, Daddy. Do what God's Word says. Know the Scripture so you can pass it on. You can't pass on what you don't know. It's no longer is it acceptable, never has been, to be honest with you, but it is not acceptable for you to say to, to your children, essentially, you do what I tell you to do, don't do what I say. They know what's going on. You can fool me. Some of you have. <laughs> I think y'all are good folks. I think y'all are good people. And that's awesome. Because that, as far as that goes, that and, what do they say? That and about $3 will buy you a cup of Starbucks these days. That's about how that goes. But I want you to know that your children know exactly what you're made of. They know exactly who you are. So it is no longer acceptable to say, do as I say, do as I say, not as I do. Instead, we need to echo what Paul says to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Follow me as I follow Christ. That's what we need to be about. We need to lean on God's strength as we teach our children. Don't, don't misunderstand this because I think some of y'all get this idea that you have to have all the answers. Don't assume that you have to have all the answers. Furthermore, don't assume you have all the answers because you don't. I can tell you, I'm now 46 years old and I have four children. Uh, two of them are still at home. Two of them are no longer here. One of them's about got one foot out the door. And uh, we got one who, poor little dude. I mean, man, he's, got, he's still got to deal with us. But, but I can look back on my life with my children, and I can tell you more about where I messed up and how I didn't do the right things in terms of raising my children. Harrison's our oldest son. I don't know how that boy has got any psychological, not, not to have total psychological damage in his life because of the way we raised him. You can't imagine a 20-year-old, know-nothing, but thinks he knows it all, being a daddy to a little boy and, trying to raise, and, a, and a mama who's so high-strung. I mean... I could, I'd hate to have been Harrison. I'm telling you. So I'm just going to go ahead and get you all off the hook. You don't have to have all the answers. In fact, you don't have all the answers. And the minute you think you have all the answers is the minute you've got none of the answers. You need to quit that. But instead, do assume that there is one who has the words of life. His name is Jesus, and he's ready to give it to you. You don't need to go to your mind and your heart and your experience because your mind, heart, and experience are absolutely fouled up. You need to go to the pure water of the Word. 
Jesus has what you need. We need to also quit treating, treating pursuing God and His wisdom and, and righteousness as a, as a part-time affair. It's a full-life endeavor. And I just say, tell y'all, one service a week ain't going to cut it. I appreciate y'all being here. appreciate y'all joining us online, but this, that, that is not, that's not going to cut it. Well, okay, I'll come two times a week. Well, great, you should do that, but that ain't going to cut it either. Well, we need to add three or four services so I can come all week. I can tell you, we can have church here every day, twice a day, every day of the week. We could do that, and it wouldn't be what you need, because this is not about coming to church on a regular basis. You need to do that. Don't hear me wrong. Y'all need to do that, but that's not what this is about. This is about a full life. It's about talking to God on your own, about listening to God, reading His Word. It's about obeying His Word, doing that on a day-by-day basis, not doing this as a Sunday morning vocation, but as a lifestyle. This is who we are. Because remember, those children, they see who you are. You need to be that person. You need to be that so that they can understand this is what we do. And we're going to do it on Sunday morning, yes. And we're also going to do it on Tuesday afternoon, absolutely. We might even get together with some friends on a Friday or a Saturday and hang out and read the Bible and pray together every now and again. Oh my goodness, that's revolutionary, isn't it? We might actually pray together when we ain't at church and the preacher ain't looking at us. Oh my goodness, that's called a lifestyle that loves the Lord. That's what we need to be about. Because if we don't do this, I can promise you the devil's after your family. He is going to attack your family, and He is going to win. And that sin that you're going to allow to creep into your life is going to do exactly what it's meant to do, and that is to kill you and to kill your family and to kill the love that you have. Uh, You're in 1 Peter. I want to ask you to look over with me in 1 Peter chapter 2. Just one chapter back. And I want you to see this in chapter 2 and verse 9. Chapter 2 and verse 9. This is Peter again talking to, really he's talking to a, a bunch of churches in what we now know in, as Turkey, that area, the country of Turkey. Uh, that's where he's talking to these churches. And he's talking to them and he says about the churches, he says, Ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation of peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. He's saying, listen, y'all are special. Can I just go ahead and tell y'all, you can apply this verse to Ellisboro Baptist Church. You are a special group of people. You're something special. Not just because y'all are nice people. You are nice people. Not just because that uh, you believe like this, this one way or another. It's not none of those things. You know what makes you special? God has made you special. God died for you. God loves you. He chose you. He brought. He bought you. You are part of the family of God. And even if you had no uh, uh, blood relation to each other, you weren't even friendly with each other, we have a common bond in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that makes y'all special. That makes you, I, you may not know it, and y'all don't even act like you believe it, but I'm going to tell you, y'all are special. I believe it. The Bible says you are. And you were made by God. He talks about in verse 10 that in times past you were not a people, but you are now the people of God. God has made you that. And because we're special, go with me to verse 11. He says, Dearly beloved, I'm talking to the church now. I beseech you, I beg you, as strangers and pilgrims, as you are now these special people walking in this world, he says, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. He says, because you're special, because you are chosen by God, it is our job to 
show the goodness and the graciousness of God by leaving that sin alone, walking away from it, shunning it, turning our backs to it, repenting of it. That is what we are supposed to do. If not, I can promise you, Peter says later in chapter 4 and verse 17, that if not, if we will not turn away from this sin, that the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. But don't get me wrong. I want to be real clear about this. If you're saved, and if this is truly God's church, you're not going to hell. Thank you, Jesus. You can't, my daddy says, to make sure I get this right, talks about, he says, I'm to say, I could swing over hell with a rotten corn stalk is the way he talks about it. I, I may have missed it up. But he talks about it that way. You can't, you can't even push me into hell. Because Jesus has saved me. There's no way I'm going. And I agree with that. So we're not talking about condemnation here. <laughs> I told you we have four children. Two of those are older, older boys in their 20s. Don't live at home anymore. But those boys, that now they call their mama, I mean, I want it. It's probably at least once a day. Sometimes it's two and three times a day. I'm starting to get offended. They never talk to me. But I remember back in the day, that same mama they call and ask and tell them about every bump and bruise that they got. Now, they were scared to death of that woman. I can tell you, she may look little and she may look nice. Especially a young and cross her, do the wrong thing in the wrong place. And by the way, she sweeps other people's children. But she would jack up in boys. Let me tell you. I'm telling you that because let me say something to you. If you're a child of God, thank you, Jesus. I'm going to heaven. Hell can't touch me. Child of God. He's your father. <laughs> As they say, he takes you behind the woodshed. He has a right to do that because he is God and he is your God and he is your Father. He ain't going to mess with the devil's children. He's going to let them run wild. But you're his kid and he's going to get you in line. So when I say that the judgments are going to begin at the house of God, y'all might want to start thinking about God the way that my boys used to think about Mama Tilly. And then you might want to get a little fear of God in your heart is what I'm trying to get to the truth. Furthermore, even if he may, he may chastise us, as, as Hebrews says, but it may also mean ultimately at this church, and I'm talking about Ellisville Baptist Church, if we do not seek the righteousness and the wisdom of God for our church, He does ultimately remove our influence. Revelation chapter 2, talking to the church at Ephesus, He says, Remember from when thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first work which were loving God, or else I will come to be quickly and remove that candlestick out of its place, except it repent. I know this church has a long and storied history, and God, thank God for every bit of it. And I believe it's got a beautiful future ahead of it. But I promise you that if this church does not address its sin, if we look the other way and we act like it's no big deal and we don't pursue God's righteousness as individuals, as families, as leaders in this church, if we don't do it, God will have no problem taking this church right off the map. God doesn't need us, you understand, to put his mission forward. He gives us the opportunity to serve. So I want you to understand that there is there's a price to pay. You want God's best for your church. I want God's best for Ellisville Baptist Church. I hope you do. 
You're going to have to seek His righteousness. Ask the Holy Spirit to bring hidden sins to the surface. It's better to just suffer that sin right now. Suffer that right now. And in that final day, before the God's judgment seat, to stand there and have to take an account for what we've done instead of saying, Lord, I know I was supposed to ask for forgiveness. I know I should have dealt with the sin. He'll deal with it. He'll deal with it. And again, don't, don't hear me wrong. He's not going to send you to hell. He loves you too much. You're his child. But he ain't going to let it go. He's not going to let it pass over. We need to take responsibility where we have wronged people and where we've hurt the name of Jesus. We need to purpose that this church, whether, when it's, whether, whether it's some business item that we're dealing with, whether we're bringing in a new pastor, whether we're bringing new deacons on the, on the board, whatever that is, we're going to center this church not on feelings, not on traditions, not on the culture, but on the Word of God and nothing less. That's what we need to be perfect to do. If we don't be prepared for Jesus to shut this church down, be prepared for this, this church to have stamped on it spiritually, God has departed from this sanctuary. We need to be prepared for that if we are not willing to seek wisdom and righteousness for our, for our church. The last section I want to talk to you about, if I can ask you, you're still in Peter, I want you to go down to verse chapter 2 and verse 13. He says there, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto governor, unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, to the praise of them that do well. Christians are required, this is, this is Bible, we're required to obey our government. It's not an option. We're supposed to obey our government. Of course, we understand that, as Peter says, I think, in the, in the book of Acts, he says, we're going to obey God rather than man. So whenever those things come in conflict, we're going to obey God. I'm not, I'm not debating that. But a lot of the stuff that we want to rebel about is really not obey, about obeying God versus man. It's just we don't like the government. We don't like the law. And Christians are supposed to obey the government. But we're not to do so in order to gain power and influence. But he says in verse 15, For so is the will of God, that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. We're not doing this so we can get power, so we can get influence. We're doing this to honor God. We're doing this to show that God is supreme and we honor Him above all else. Furthermore, if you go down to verse 17, he says there, that honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the King. He's saying, essentially, that if we will be good citizens, we will provide us with a good life. Uh, Paul writes about this in Timothy. He says, Pray for kings, for that all are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. If we want God's best for our community, we're going to have to seek God's wisdom and God's righteousness for our community. So we need to obey the, the laws of the land. But, but I think we've got to go a little bit further. And we've got to separate from ungodliness. Our community is going to be helped. We've got to separate from ungodliness and just quit fussing about it. Let me explain. We've got to quit as church people, as Christian people, we've got to quit giving abortion doctors business. Now, I want to say real quick for anybody who's suffered through, maybe even dealing with the guilt and the shame of committing or having an abortion, there's forgiveness and there's God's love. Don't hear me wrong. 
there are too many churches where because of sin and immorality, it's easier to kill that baby than to confront the sin. We've got to stop that, church. We've got to stop voting for our pocketbook, what's good for our bank accounts and our 401ks and our jobs and our retirements. We've got to stop doing that and start voting for families and children and what's right. We've got to quit being more devoted to pleasure than the truth. We do what feels good, church. That's what, that's what Christians are doing everywhere. We do what feels good, not what's right. Christians have got to stop that. If we want to have an influence, we sit here and say, well, I don't think the government ought to do that. Well, they might not ought to do it, but what are you doing to contribute to it? I'm afraid too many of our laws are passed in this land because, like it or not, and it's not the most pure and right, I think there's a little more corruption than we like to give credit to, but the United States of America, we are sort of based on democracy is. You know what they're doing up in Washington? Exactly what we sent them to do. And if you as church people are behind it, Christian people are voting for those people, you can't sit back and say, well, I can't believe they're doing this, that, and the other thing. They're doing what you sent them there for. Do you understand that? They're doing what you are supporting them to do. Until and unless we actually stop giving our business just pop out of you and it starts influencing everything around us. But if we don't do that, our community will reap the wages of sin, continue to. And I already told you how much we already are and all of our cities are going to come home to it. I'm over my time. Y'all have been patient. Thank you. But let me make this last point. I've, I've, I listened to myself preach the last couple of times and I've done this a couple of times. I've got to stop. But I'm done after this. The only hope for our nation, for our country, for our family, for our church, is righteousness and wisdom. But that worries me a little bit because the Bible tells me that my righteousness is a filthy rag. The absolute best I can bring to Jesus is shame. That worries me a little bit because James says that my wisdom is earthly and sensual and devilish. I can't be wise. I'm polluted. I'm messed up from the ground up. The best I can do is get God's wrath on me. But the Bible also tells me in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30 that there is one who was made wisdom and righteousness for me. The Bible tells me that he offers, as James says in James chapter 3, verse 17, he offers me real wisdom that's from above. Real righteousness that's from above. Do you want to fix what's wrong with this nation? I do. Do you want to protect your family? I want to protect mine. Do you want this church to be what it ought to be? I do. Well, then we have got to stop bringing shame. We've got to stop doing it our own. We've got to stop getting the wrath of God on us. Instead, start seeking God's wisdom and God's uh, righteousness. Then we can enjoy the peace and the hope that is offered to us. I want to ask you to stand. But Trey, I think, is going to come and pray for us. Here's my invitation. Some of you need to simply accept His righteousness and wisdom by faith. You've never been saved. 
you can't agree with what I said about not going to hell because you're, you're honest with yourself. You know that's your destination. I want you to know that Jesus is offered to you today. Once you come and talk to me, I'm going to stand down front and I want you to come. There's others of you who are very worried about what's going on in this country, and rightly so. What are you doing about it? I want to offer you, you need to come and speak God's wisdom and God's righteousness for your family, for this church, and for this community. Why don't you come and pray? Put it in the Lord's hands and say, Lord, make me what I need to be so that I can be the salt and light that this world needs. Why don't you come? Lord, please move among your people. Have them respond in faith so they can speak the righteousness and the wisdom that you offer. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all come. You're right.